How to be awash in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love His love came to earth like a flood. Go ahead and open your Bibles, as we said, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. We are in verse 21 through 23, focuses on verse 22 this morning. Some of you may know, some of you may not know. I'm an identical twin. I have a twin brother who looks just like me, mostly. We look just alike when we were kids. I'll put it like that. As a matter of fact, for a while when we were kids, my dad was at school at William Carey College in Hasburg, Mississippi, and his mother came to stay with us to help take care of us. Her name was Ona Lee Price, my dear grandmother, who is for many years now going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there are challenges when you have identical twins knowing who is who. The identity becomes a problem. She told us sometime later, she said, I never could tell which one was which, so I would stick a piece of tape across one of your bottoms, so every time I changed the diaper, I knew who I was talking to. Well, that was, uh, I don't know, kind of awkward to hear as a young man. <laughs> but uh, identity is, is kind of important. Uh, some of you obviously know I have a gash in my ear, and oftentimes at, uh, at GPS or at children's ministry or when I'm teaching a Sunday school classroom or I meet a kid for the first time. Most parents, most adults wonder, but they don't ask. But the kids will always ask, what happened to your ear? And I make up stories. <laughs> you know, a bullet, man, that close to my head. Not true, not true. But uh, I was at vacation Bible school a few years ago and a girl said, what happened to your ear? I said, well, I have a twin brother and my parents couldn't tell us apart. And so they got a hole punch and just did a clip right there so they would know which one, which one was me and which one was them. And, of course, I never corrected that story. <laughs> Probably should have come back and made that clear. Uh, all, all of that to say, sometimes identity is important. Uh, again, as an identical twin, I was called to the office in elementary school uh, because of something my brother had done. Uh, and then in high school... Uh, Assistant Principal Creighton called my brother and I to uh, the uh, principal's office at Belton Hunting Path High School our senior year. Though Mark and I are very much alike, there are a few things that are different. He's an engineer. He's math. And I'm history. You guys know the difference, right? He's math. Numbers, calculate. I'm history. Give me words. Essay, write, read. We're all good. Now, that's not to say he's not incompetent completely at one and I'm not incompetent at the other. But I will say that when it comes test time, being identical twins with complementing strength can be advantageous. <laughs> and one time having taken advantage of uh, my brother's skill in mathematics on my behalf, we got called to the principal's office. Uh, he, uh, he expressed, first of all, his dismay at our deceit and then his envy at our ability to do such a thing. Uh, identity matters, and it can, it, it, it's really important. Now, here's the thing about the world that we live in. The world that we live in is going to tell you a lie about who you are. Uh, your own flesh is going to lie to you about who you are. Uh, even as a believer, you need to understand that even as a believer... Having come to Christ in repentance and faith and given my life to Him and being filled with His Holy Spirit and having His Word, if I get distance from His Word and I get distance from the 
truth of the gospel, and I don't rehearse it, and I don't preach it to myself, and I don't rejoice in it, and I don't sing songs like, great were my sins, but his mercy is more. (laughs) And I don't take those to heart. Then all of a sudden, I can begin to live as if my salvation is my doing, as if it's my responsibility, not only that I have been saved, but now to live the Christian life in my strength. And what happens is, when I forget to preach the gospel to myself, when I forget to live a gospel-centered life, I'll be overcome with my failures. And when I get overcome with my failures, man, it leads me to despair. It leads me to depression. It leads me to despondency. You just live carrying the burden of your own sin. Or, it leads you to some sort of horrible arrogance. Pride. Doing pretty good. God ought to be proud on one of his. We make him look pretty good today. And I will tell you that it's not exclusively one or the other. You will swing back and forth. On those good days, you're doing pretty good. But on those bad days, you're doing pretty bad. And I don't know if you have any trouble sleeping. I will tell you, the Lord has blessed me with the ability to sleep. I have, I have three spiritual gifts. I'm adding one to my list. I have the ability to make people mad. It just comes naturally. I have the ability to put people to sleep. If you've got a crying baby, I'm your man. Okay? Uh, I went to visit one of our senior adults years ago, the first year I was the pastor here at Pendleton Street Baptist Church in 2003. And I asked her, seeking to be kind, would you like a, a tape? This was a long time ago, okay, 2003. Would you like a tape or, or a, a CD of the sermons? And she looked me straight in the face and said, I don't have any trouble at all going to sleep. <laughs> Make the connection. She made it quickly, all right? Uh, and so I had the ability to put people to sleep. But I tell you what, I can also sleep. I don't, my problem is not that I can't get to sleep or that I can't stay asleep. My problem is I like to sleep too much. But every once in a while, in the dark of the night, when you wake up and your mind's just going, what do you think about? What is it that comes to mind? For sometimes it's a, a, oh, what do I have to do and what do I have to make sure it gets done? All the tasks and all the duties that's that's for you. I don't know about you guys. I I, I write stuff down on paper, so I get it out of my mind and put it on paper, and I have a list. I don't have to look at the list till the morning, so that's not what keeps me up at night. It's when I look back and I think about the mistakes that I've made or the bad choices that I made or the things I said I wish I wouldn't have said or the things I'd done that I wish I wouldn't have done. And the accuser comes. you guys know the accuser who comes at night? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Y'all are just staring at me. I hope I'm not the only one. But the accuser comes at night and he whispers in your ear and he says, You messed up. You messed up. And it's in the past and there's nothing you can do about it. You've messed up. And he rehearses that. You guys know what instant replays are. Sometimes that stuff gets on a loop. And the accuser accuses. And the accuser accuses. And the accuser accuses. Last week we started the sermon with the phrase, remember your past. I've got good news for you. 
I've got really good news for you. You don't have to remember the sins of your past. You don't have to remember the mistakes and the deeds of your past. You don't have to carry them around anymore because of the truth in this passage of Scripture. There was a time when you were alienated from God. There was a time when you wanted to be your own God and make your own choices and do your own thing. Hostile in mind. There was a time when you did the evil deeds. Not, maybe not as bad as you could be, but you did evil deeds. But now. And now. He, Jesus, has reconciled you. Who's he reconciled us to? He's reconciled us to God. He has made us into something that we previously weren't. He has done something that we could not do. He saved us. He washed us. He cleansed us. He forgave us. He redeemed us. He adopted us. He has declared us justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? So we need to live gospel-centered lives. We need, matter of fact, what is the purpose clause in this passage of Scripture? Verse 21, our past, you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. But verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you. Here's the purpose clause. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The first thing, if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to do so, if nothing else, just to write down the scripture references because we'll have several. Uh, there, there should be a, a listening guide that will give you a place to do that. But we need to get clear on our identity. Have you guys ever heard, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? You guys ever heard that phrase? Nobody's ever heard that phrase? You guys ever heard that phrase? Okay. Interactive. I need a little bit of interaction here. Okay. So you've heard the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Is there anything blatantly false in that statement? Process it. Are you a sinner? Are you saved by grace? All right. What's the problem with that sentence? Just a sinner saved by grace. Can I tell you, you are so much more than just a sinner saved by grace because of the cross. You are a saint set apart to God to be holy and blameless without reproach. There is a foundational truth that we've got to get and that we've got to grasp. Our identity in Christ is when we got saved, He made us into a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You're familiar with the passage, right? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is not on our own. It's from God who through Christ... Through Christ, what we're talking about right here in Colossians 1, reconciled us to himself and gave us, Paul writing to, uh, about himself and his partners, but also 
right, explaining this to all believers, gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that? That is that Christ was in the world, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Get that? Not counting their trespasses against them. Can I give you a, a very brief course on soteriology, just real quick? We'll go over this really quick. And some people, soteriology is the study of salvation. Soter, salvation, being made new. I want to remind you of five words that are important that we understand when we talk about salvation. The first of those, of course, is justification. Justification. Vocabulary test, we'll, we'll do an exam later. Uh, to be justified means to be declared righteous, to be declared innocent, in our case, by virtue of a substitute. Justified means to be declared righteous. The second term I want you to write down really quick is the word redemption. Redemption. In redemption, the sinner stands before God as a slave and is purchased and set free. Redemption. Granted freedom. The third phrase Forgiveness. We know what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is to be uh, have your debts forgiven. The, in forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor, and the debt, having been paid, is forgotten. In forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor whose debt is paid and forgotten. Fourth is our word today, reconciliation. Reconciliation. What happens in reconciliation? This is beautiful. The sinner stands before God as an enemy of God and becomes a friend of God. Hostile to God. And then united with God. An enemy becomes a friend. And fifthly, the word adoption. Sometimes the word sonship is used. Adoption. You'll read this in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Adoption summarizes in our salvation... Uh, the sinner stands before God as a stranger and is made a son. Stands before God as a stranger and is made a son. Now think of this. Who's your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are you? By the way, you are what God says you are. You are who God says you are. All right? Not who the world says you are. Not who the, who the accuser says you are. But who God says you are. You stood as the accused and he declared you righteous. You stood as a slave and He granted you freedom. You stood as a debtor, and He forgave and forgot your debt. You stood as an enemy, and He made you a friend. You stood as a stranger, and He called you His son, His child. And that sums up our salvation and our identity in Christ. That's good, isn't it? Amen. We can trust God in this. This is good. You are, to put it in another way, as I said a minute ago, a saint. Not just a, just a sinner saved by grace, but you are the temple of the Spirit of God. All of the riches, all the fullness of God saw fit to dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He dwells in you fully. We're to allow Him to dwell in us fully. We are to recognize the power that we have. We are clothed in the righteousness of God. And don't forget those words. you got those three words in verse 21, alienated, hostile, evil. But you got those three words in verse 22, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Feeling holy? How's it going? Holy meaning pure and set apart to God. Blameless, being without spot or blemish or wrinkle. Above reproach, being 
not being able to be accused. And yet, I don't feel holy. There are too many times when there's sin in my life. Too many times when I'm in rebellion and in enmity against God. There are too many times when I stumble. Too many times when I fall. Salvation is a fresh start. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves, recognize our identity. It's a fresh start. And we get a new standing in Christ. And I want to deal with the standing, then I want to deal with the outflowing of this. And what is our standing, our legal standing before God? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We just read 17 through 19. Go back. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Just a couple of verses now. We get a description of our standing in Christ. It is for our sake that God made His Son, Jesus, to become sin, who knew no sin. He was innocent and clear, clean, and our sin was placed on Him, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In Him we might become the righteousness of God. What happens is an exchange takes place. My sin placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And its penalty paid. His righteousness is imputed, is given, is applied to me. And now when God sees me, He sees His Son who took my place. And the the way the Apostle Paul describes this is I'm placed in Christ. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says we are clothed. In Christ, and let me see if I can I can describe this with an Old Testament example of this, and and that is found in Zechariah chapter three. Zechariah chapter three. If you're taking notes, this would be the time to fill in point number two on your outline, and it is that I need to recognize that I am complete in Jesus. I am complete in Jesus. All I need, all I have, I am lacking nothing. Say, falta nada. I am lacking nothing because I have the Lord Jesus Christ. In Zechariah chapter 3, we have the story, uh, an illustration, if you will. By the way, let's just go to Matthew and go back two books. It's not, not hard to find. Um, you have the story some 400 years before the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. And it begins with, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. Now this is not Moses and Joshua. This is not the Joshua of the wandering in the wilderness of the taking of the promised land. This is Joshua the high priest in Babylonian captivity years later. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was there. So you've got the Lord, you've got Joshua, and you've got Satan. Now what is Satan doing there? He's doing what he always does. He's accusing He's accusing, standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the, which is what Satan means, by the way. Diabolos means to accuse. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. He's the God who chooses. I want you to understand that. He's the God who saves and redeems. Who is Joshua? Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua, he looks at Joshua. He knows who Joshua is. Satan's saying, look at this guy. He, he, he's a sinner. He's unclean. He's unworthy. And God says, yes, but he's unworthy. He's a brand, a burnt limb, plucked from the fire. 
Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. The filthy garments is a picture of his guilt. It's not that God didn't know that he was a sinner. It's not that God didn't know that he needed washing and that he needed cleansing. But listen to what God does. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And he said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments as the angel of the Lord was standing by. He sees a picture here of what is accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. The filthy garments of our alienation, of our hostility in mind, our sin, our rebellion is taken away. It was put on Christ on the cross and the penalty for that was paid by the innocent. And His righteousness, His clean garments, we are clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are complete in Him. There is nothing that you need that He is not sufficient for. He is complete. You are complete in His righteousness. You are complete as the recipient of His grace. Last week, point number one was remember your past. This week, We're going in a different direction with that. The point is not to remember your past as the accuser brings up your past. The point is to remember the grace of God, who you were in your need for the grace of God so you can celebrate His amazing grace. But now, we continually come before Him. You see, the fresh start is just the beginning of this process Forensically, I'm declared righteous by God. A just God has allowed Christ to take my place. Day by day by day in my experience, I depend upon the grace of God. Just like I depended upon the grace of God to save me, I depend upon the grace of God today. My sins, which were many, His mercy is more. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not most and not just some and not just the the things that, that we can explain away or not explain away. If we confess our sins, we are to walk worthy of the Lord. What is this prayer that Paul just prayed? I pray that you walk worthy of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that you walk worthy of the high calling to which you are called or to that which you have been called. We have an opportunity now to live lives completely different and we have the ability to do so that we did not before by Christ who works within us. Now there are some people who struggle with the idea of that kind of grace. It's too easy. I can sin and just say, God forgive me and he forgives me. Is done? Is that how that works? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The song we just sang, talking about our many sins, it doesn't matter what we are, whether, whether we would classify ourselves as a good person, even though there is no good person, only God, or whether we would be an evil, vindictive person, or, or even a wicked person who, who does wicked things in the world. Is anybody beyond the reach of God's grace? Is anybody beyond the reach of God's grace? No. Ask Paul. He was a terrorist. Persecuting Christians. Going from town to town. Imprisoning and sanctioning their death. 
And God saved me. And that's why Paul later said he saved me just to show that there's nobody his grace can't reach. I'm the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy chapter 1. There's nobody his grace can't reach. Is, is that too easy? Is that too easy? Can we devalue grace because somebody else paid for it? Because somebody else paid for it? Does that mean it's not valuable? One of the things that you teach your children as you are raising children is to take care of their stuff. Right? It's one of the things that my father worked very diligently to teach us. When you have something, it's your responsibility to care for it. And oftentimes, we would have to make investments in our big gifts so that we would take better care of them. Sometimes when we plan events or we plan things that we could fund, we would say, or do say, uh, we want you to make at least a token investment to demonstrate your commitment, that you're willing to make some level of commitment and investment in this. Can I tell you something about grace? You don't make an investment in grace. He paid it all. And when he's paid it all, sometimes we can get careless and think because it's free to us, it's just not that valuable. And yet it is. It wasn't free to him. He reconciled us by the death of his body of flesh. In order that we might be cleansed. In order that we can put on Christ and walk in him. Clothed in Christ. Now we don't take advantage of this grace. We don't disrespect it. We don't thumb our nose at God and say, I can always just ask God to forgive me later. We live differently because we are dressed differently. We were having a conversation Earlier this morning before church, I forget who it was with. I think it was Oregon, Patty, and Austin. Uh, and I was talking about the fact that I've got clothes in my closets that I can look at pictures from 20 years ago and those clothes are still in my closet. You, any of you guys do that? I don't, I don't know. I, I know that men and women relate to clothes differently. For, for me, they're like old friends. Uh, and uh, I, I tend to hang on them far beyond when I should, the ones I can keep up with. I tend to hang on far longer than I should. Can I tell you that how you dress matters? How you dress, you should dress for the occasion, and how you dress to a great extent will affect your behavior. And if that's true, at least at some light level, with the clothes we put on here, how much truer should that be? Having put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we now live lives worthy of Him. So we do not take advantage of grace. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By the way, those are the sins of presumption. He goes on to say, God forbid, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. Robed in the righteousness of Christ. Now the life we live, we continue to live by faith. We continue to live resting in His grace and in His provision for us and trusting in Him completely with the desire to bring glory to Him in all that we do as we become in practice what He has accomplished for us completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. The third point, if you're taking notes, is that we need to learn to live just right. 
We need to learn to live just right. The word that we've studied before in this church, and you'll hear it a lot, or, or you'll hear it fairly regularly as you come, is the word teleos. And it is a word that is often uh, interpreted as mature, or complete, or perfect. And the picture of this word is a word that means like the right tool for the job, or the perfect fit, or right where it's supposed to be. Fully, complete, lacking nothing. Just right. You and I are not to live deficit in grace, deficit in holiness, deficit in righteousness, willingly. It is true that if we say we have no sin, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we lie. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous, who always makes intercession for us. You understand what I'm saying? This holy living is Christ-dependent. This completeness and this being able to rest in His righteousness comes as we put our faith and our trust in Him. We live just right. I won't do a whole word study on this, but teleos means, is used in Scripture to describe God's living in us and His love being perfected in us. The letter to the Hebrews is explicit in that we cannot attain perfection or maturity ourselves through the law or through temple sacrifices, but instead Jesus is the only means of perfection because He perfected us through the sacrifice of His body on the cross. The letter to the Philippians makes it clear that it is God's continuing work. He begins the good work in us and He brings it to completion. The writer of Hebrews declares, For by a single offering, the offering of the precious blood of the precious Lamb of God, He has perfected teleos. He has made complete for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, having put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we trust Him. And it's not that we declare that we are sinless, but we recognize that every sin has a cost. It was paid on the cross. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not... Take it, allowed God to take off those filthy rags and clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. One day you will stand before Him as judge in those filthy rags. One day you will stand before Him guilty, not declared justified. And the wages of sin is death. It's eternal death. And I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't lay this out abundantly clear. I want you to understand that salvation is by grace through faith. It is the reason Jesus, in his body on the cross, gave his life. The wrath of God against sin, he took. His forgiveness and his righteousness, he brings. He desires you who are accused to declare you righteous. He desires those of you who are slaves to sin to set you free. He desires those of you who are in debt to him because of your sin to forgive your debt. He desires that you no longer be an enemy of His, but to make you His friend. He desires that you no longer be alienated and a stranger, but rather to be a son, to be a daughter, to be a child. How does that happen? It comes as you yield your life to Christ. As you acknowledge these truths and you say, God, I, I, I am an enemy 
God, I have been hostile, and God, I am a stranger, and God, I am enslaved, and God, I need salvation. And God, I recognize that Jesus is the Savior, that He died on the cross for me, and I give my life to You. Wash me and cleanse me and make me new. I'm not going to put words in Your mouth, but these are words that the Scripture records that people prayed as they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who are a believer, what fresh start do you need today? Is there unconfessed sin? Call on the grace of God. Ask Him to forgive you. Um, Are you a fan of instant replays? I have to tell you that when, when the replay helps my team, I like them fine. But when it doesn't, I'm not a big fan at all. And Satan has... The role, believers, listen to me, Satan has the role of being an accuser. It's who he is. And while we remember the grace of God and our need for the grace of God, Satan will come back and he will say, but what about this? But what about that? But what about this? But what about that? So what do we do with that? Here's what the Bible says about you. You are forgiven the debt is paid Psalm 103 the psalmist writes he has separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west Bertha Smith a great Christian missionary and speaker used to say God cast your sin in the deepest sea and he posted no fishing sign washed cleansed forgiven so when the accuser begins to accuse you Remember a couple of things. Number one, remember that accusation is only going to be effective to the extent you allow it to be effective because it's not having any effect of there. You are presented, listen, you are presented holy without spot or blemish and beyond accusation at the throne of grace because of what Christ has accomplished. Hallelujah. And you can always remind Satan of that as you remind yourself of that. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the other thing is you need to remind him when he accuses you, you need to remind him what it means to be forgiven. What it means to be set free. And you need to set your mind on the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the grace that he has bestowed upon you. David in the Psalms. I don't know why this is so much about sleep today. (laughs) Just that spiritual gift I have I guess. But David in the Psalms. Mentions a few things. That I thought worthy of mentioning. One is. He cries out to God when he lays on his bed at night. And God hears. I thank you God. That you hear. My groanings at night. But he also tells us something about the nature and the character of God. God does not sleep. And he does not slumber. He is faithful. So here's your encouragement. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. The way that we have joy. The way that we have peace. The way that we walk in victory. Is not... 
in despair at our inability or in arrogance at our ability, but in joy in Christ's ability that he has saved us. Isn't God good? If you've never experienced him, we'd love to introduce you. We'd love to talk about him. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we do. We're happy to share with you, person to person, face to face, what it means to know God and how you can be forgiven as well. Father, thank you. Thank you for the amazing grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for those of us who are believers that we will move from despair and depression and certainly that we will slay the arrogance and pride that is part of our lives by simply focusing upon your sufficiency on the cross. We trust in you to live in us just like we trust in you to save us from our sin. We trust you to continue to cleanse us and to continue to wash us and to continue to make us new. Father, help us to lead lives worthy of the Lord. Help us to walk worthy of the calling with which you have called us, dependent upon your strength, dependent upon your power, enjoying grace and proclaiming grace. We love you. For those here, those who can hear this message at some point or hear your word, who've never experienced what it means to be declared not guilty, who have dealt with satanic accusation, but they've never come to the place where they responded to Holy Spirit conviction and the forgiveness of sin. I pray that your spirit will work in their heart, that you will call them to yourself and draw them, that you will open their eyes, that they will see the truth, that they will respond in repentance and faith. Father, we trust you to do so. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I ask these things. Amen.